Hello and welcome, my ghost story lovers. This is Beyond the Veil, Paranormal Tales, and I'm your host, Becca. You can also find us in blog form at beyondtheveilparanormaltales.com if you'd like to read instead or read along. Join me here as I huddle indoors beside the crackling fire in the fireplace as a thunderstorm, complete with hail, rages just outside. Listen in as I tell you some real people's spooky stories, told in their own words. Some of these spooky stories may contain adult language. Listeners, be advised. If you are new to the blog and podcast, while you should generally be able to pop in and enjoy any individual episode on its own, I do explain some things that make me different as I go along here, so you might want to pop back to episode one and start there, but as always, follow your heart. Also, this week is part two of three in the Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac series. If you didn't listen to episode 10, you'll definitely want to pop back and start there before jumping in here. As with last time, names taken from the Ghost Train podcast episodes remain the same here. Once again, any referenced episodes will be linked on the blog. I highly recommend listening to the linked episodes for more context of this situation and the people involved. Other names outside of these podcast episodes have been changed to protect privacy. That said, you have my word. All stories told here are real, to the best of my knowledge. So, start your own fire, grab yourself a drink, and settle on in with me as we take a peek at the world that lies beyond the veil. Author's Episode Note After listening through the finished and published 10th episode, true to classic writer form, I found a couple corrections to make. Honestly, it's shocking this hasn't happened until now. Anyway, corrections. First, Robert is with Front Range Paranormal Research Society. I typed it out wrong, said it wrong, and did not catch my mistake until listening back. Sorry, Robert. My bad. Second, I forgot something when I was writing everything out again, after my writing program crashed and I lost three hours of work. From the Ghost Train podcast episode, I Am Not a Medium, Part 1, Monica shared a video they caught at the pink Cadillac, behind the internal stained glass window. So, this was in the area of the store with the repetitive energy Monica felt on her walkthrough. The video was taken from the kitchen in the pink Cadillac. It's pointed at the wall in the kitchen that has the stained glass window on it. The video shows a tall shadow figure walk from the right to the left, and then, several seconds later, the same shadow figure goes by again, from the left to the right. All of the activity came from the storeroom inside of that stained glass window. I wanted to mention it, since I referenced the window video toward the end of the episode, but I neglected to share the story itself. Hope that clarifies any confusion. The link to the video is on the blog if you'd like to see it for yourself. Also, this story continues to fight me as I move forward on it, as the last one did. I tried to listen to episode 10, and my phone's SIM card hard failed. A reboot didn't work to fix it, so I shut the phone off again and popped the SIM out to look at it. It looked fine, 
I put it back and turned my phone on again, and it was fine after that. Before this episode's weirdness, my phone has given me no trouble for the last few months, so the timing was definitely suspect on that. My writing program has closed on me several more times, including once when it did every time I tried to restore the auto-closed files. I was forced to skip restoration and hope for the best. My computer at work even shut itself off for no reason one day after I'd worked on the episode before work. So, just to be safe, I'm extending the warning from last week's episode over to this one too. Listen at your own risk. This story really may not want to be heard. And with that, you've been warned. On with the show. Tonight is episode 11, Becca and Beth and the Ghost Hunt. So February and March turned into April of 2019, and the night of our ghost hunt at the Pink Cadillac Boutique fast approached. My ghostly entourage watched the ghost hunting shows with me, and they begged to come along to see how it all works in real life. I'd been making comments about how edited the ghost shows must be, and I wondered how boring the real thing actually is. I assumed it must be lots of waiting, and most of the fun happens when the group reviews the information later. But after a few readings and conversations about it, I finally told my entourage they could come with me if they really wanted to, but they were not to interfere unless someone was trying to talk to us and they couldn't for some reason. Otherwise, they're just allowed to come along and watch. They seemed okay with this and settled down as I continued preparing myself for the coming evening. I got tired of just watching ghost shows and started reading up on ghost hunting apps for phones. I wasn't impressed with the ghost radars or spirit box apps, and my readings suggested they're all just for fun anyway. But I eventually found the iOvilus. I didn't really believe it was going to do anything. I assumed it was going to be like the other apps I'd tried already, but I did mess around with it for fun. The app keeps logs of all the words it spits out at you and lets you download them for your records. I will share these logs with you on the blog if you'd like to see them for yourself. The first time I used the iOvilus app was on April 19th, the day before we were due at the Pink Cadillac for our ghost hunt. The iOvilus started off strong with the word bacon, which just made me laugh. I was making lunch, but I'm a vegetarian, so I definitely didn't have any bacon out. Then a string of words poured out, not making any sense. Agent, prayer, birds, knit, legion, shoes, hundred, remove, lose, geek, tag, measure, object, telepathy. There was no clear sentence or meaning that I could immediately see in those words, and I remained skeptical. But something nagged at me, and I started analyzing the words one at a time. Of those words at the time, knit made some sense, as I was wearing a big sweater that day. Geek would make sense, because I'm pretty geeky. Measure object telepathy made some sense, given my growing gifts. I took it to mean someone from the store, agent, wanted me to come down and check things out. 
It was the first thing from any of the phone apps that made any sense, so I started paying attention. I didn't even realize one thing until much later. The store does have birds, too. I left the Iovilus on throughout the day that day. One random string jumped out at me. Snow, struck, brother, car, cage, behind, killed, central, pout. This seemed to be about a specific incident, but I'm not sure what exactly. A car accident of some kind. Then, for several hours, the app just spat out random words that didn't seem to make sense together. This was all when I wasn't really paying attention to it. I was just letting it run. Every now and then it would spit out a string of concerning words like deep, telepathy, malevolent, choke. Or sense, curt, derrick, fear, mirror. Those names meant nothing to me, but the rest definitely felt like a warning. I turned it off for the night, but couldn't help but turn it on again on the morning of the investigation. You know, just to see. The first words of the day? Agent. Come. I turned it off as I got ready for the morning and wondered if it was just repeating itself, but... While it had been implied, it hadn't actually told me to come outright before this. It did make me wonder, though its urgency made my belly churn with worry. I waited a while and turned the app back on again. It said, Spring, measure, agent, placebo, cannot, yourself, legion, geek. Spring could be the current season. Okay. Measure again. Agent again. Placebo could be like saying, I can't find the right word, but this is close. So what follows those words? Cannot yourself legion geek. I cannot handle this myself. I wasn't planning on handling anything. It's calling me geek again, too. Okay. Then it continued. Informed came through. It felt like a scolding. I told you. After a long pause, it said, Object, shoes, threat, remove, come. I understood. Get your shit, put your shoes on, and come deal with this shit. I sighed at it. But I can't. I was literally just going to the store to observe. I wasn't even doing the spiritual cleansing service yet or anything. This was actually one of the first things that pushed me in that direction. Anyway, I'm not going to try and cleanse a place without consent from the owners any way you slice it. Why should they let me do anything in their place? They don't know me. I sure as fuck wouldn't let some random person come into my house and work protection magic on my behalf, you know? Why should they? I paused in paying attention to the app and went to make some food, and it said, Bacon, which again made me laugh. As I sat to eat again, it said, Spring, strange, farmer's, prayer, agent, strange, cannot. Spring again. Is that a season? Or a name? Hmm. 
strange farmer's prayer. Well, that could be the ritual stuff I can do, I guess. And it said agent again. Agent from the store? It says agent and seems tied to the store. Hmm. It seemed almost like two entities telling me different things. Spring says, strange farmer's prayer. And agent says, strange cannot. This kind of made me laugh and nod. It's been my experience that these entities are just like they were when they were people, complete with differing opinions. I just continued my observation of them, amused, beginning to see a bigger picture. It kept going. Things, knit, cannot measure. And I took that to mean there might be things that are outside of my wheelhouse in this place. I had assumed that might be the case, but it was interesting having some confirmation. It said, wheat, as I made a sandwich and then spit out strange as the last word before I closed the program for the afternoon. When it was time for the ghost hunt night, Beth and I met up and drove down to the store and parked in the street outside and down the road a bit. We had arrived a little early, so I pulled the Iovilus out to show her, and it said, Prayer. Legion. Now. Trail. I laughed, saying it had been repeating itself about a legion and praying, and now it was time to get out of the car and walk up to the door, and it said, Now. Trail. Interesting. I put my phone away, and we got out of the car. We walked up to the door, and as we did, another pair approached the front door. I looked up and grinned, recognizing Mary. The other woman with her must be Marcy, her friend we talked into buying a ticket online. We said our hellos and funneled our way through the entry and into the front room of the store. We giggled amongst ourselves about how the date might be 420 and we might be in Colorado where weed is legal, but there we were sober, and we all definitely planned to stay that way all night. From there in the front room, I started looking around. To our right, there was a large birdcage in front of the window display, and there were tables out, Strum's beauty products, and jewelry. Straight ahead from the front door, on the left wall, was a beautiful wooden register counter. If you went through the large doorway to the left, just inside the front door, there was another room with a window display and racks full of clothing. We gathered by the register, unsure where we were supposed to meet up with the group for the night. I looked around in the room we stood in and noted the lingerie was displayed in a beautiful older armoire across from the register counter. There were some other clothing racks toward the back of that front room, and I noted a pair of dressing rooms with heavy curtains instead of doors were situated on a wall behind those clothing racks. The store was super cute, but I felt uneasy there. I'd been trying to stay casual about the evening, but my guard was already up and my stomach lurched as we stood there. I dug in my bag and found some mint gum and popped a stick into my mouth. Beth took one when I offered it, but didn't say anything. I wondered if she felt it too, whatever it was. A dark-haired woman popped out of the back room, laughing at something, and she greeted us warmly and waved us toward the back of the store. 
The group of us followed the waving woman, past cameras and other items on tripods, careful not to trip over their wires that were strewn across the floor. We passed through a pair of pink and glass French doors into the residence at the back of the building, and we all collected in the home's small kitchen. There were black carrying cases littering the floor, investigation tools laid out on the kitchen table, and there was an assortment of different snacks, ranging from adorable tiny cupcakes to popcorn on the countertop. I started looking at the tools they had out on the counter, and noted there was a beautiful hand-carved spirit board and planchette alongside the spirit box and EMF meters. There were other people bustling around in the house, who I assumed must be those with the paranormal investigation team, and those people were still setting things up for the night. Birds shifted around in another large birdcage in the kitchen, and I wondered which set of birds were picked on by the spirits. The night Monica talked about in her ghost train episode, I Am Not a Medium, Part 1. As we found our places to stand in the kitchen, as out of the way as possible, the dark-haired woman introduced herself. She is the owner of the store, Lisa, and we all went around the group, each introducing ourselves. There was Mary, her friend Marcy, Beth, myself, and a husband and wife whose names I cannot recall. The couple had done a formal investigation like this before, but the rest of us were new to it all. All of us were new to the Pink Cadillac location. Lisa filled us in on the events that had happened at the store, as they had unfolded for her. She said they had no idea the place was haunted when they bought it, but they figured it out pretty quick. They've had several professional paranormal teams come in and do investigations. She said the activity comes in waves. The front door opens by itself, and the back door leading out to the backyard did as well, during a recent investigation. The team thought it was one of their people at first, but they found they were all accounted for when it happened, and they caught the door opening by itself on video. She gestured at the stained glass window that was next to the kitchen table and told us about the video one of the groups had caught there. They had cameras set up to focus heavily on that same window that night. She called over and introduced Robert, who was there with his group, Front Range Paranormal Research Society. He explained what we were going to be doing that night. He showed us around the building, and I glanced into the storage space behind the stained glass window and was shocked. I'd watched the shadow figure video Monica shared with Drew from the ghost train. That shadow figure was walking right next to the window. The store had clothing racks stored in there, and one was pushed right up against that stained glass window. So the shadow figure was walking through there, as though the clothing racks weren't there at all. Interesting. Robert briefly showed us around, and he gave us the tour. He pointed out different cameras his group had out so we knew where to walk carefully once all the lights went out, and the investigation began. They had a motion sensor camera up in the rafters area, and he said they've caught movement up there before. They had a laser light grid on a tripod pointed at the room with all the clothing racks that was to the left of the store's entrance. I realized from the back of the store that the main store area was a big circle with a wall and the register in the center. The register side had all the non-clothing items and the overflow from the clothing side. 
and there were lots of decorative things around that weren't for sale, like an old-fashioned bicycle that stood near a huge mirror toward the back of the clothing area, and a cream-colored fedora hat that was on the wall near the register. That must be the hat they found between the walls during renovations. Lisa covered the front birdcage with a large sheet. They gathered their animals up in their car, wished us a good evening, and the owners ran off for the night, leaving us in the hands of Robert and his team. They let us wander around in the building and feel the space out so we could decide where we wanted to work when it was time to get to it. Beth and I wandered around, not saying much but feeling the place out. She whispered to me that she felt something in the front, by the window, in the room with the clothing racks and the light grid. I wandered over there and immediately recognized one of my protector beings. He must have come with me from my house. I mentally reminded him and anyone else with me that they are not allowed to interfere with the investigation. The protector being huffed from his corner and nodded. I wondered if he'd come along to protect me or to keep the entourage in line while we were all there. But I let that thought go and carried on, feeling the place out and whispering to Beth what I felt. She laughed and nodded, saying, of course he came with me. I laughed, shrugged, and we carried on. We wandered through the archway at the front, past the front door again, toward the armoire with the lingerie. There were motion sensor cameras near the register counter, pointed at the front door and the front room's birdcage. I wondered what activity had happened in that area for them to focus on it, but I didn't ask. As we wandered around, feeling the area out, other members of Robert's team came out to join us. One woman, Corey, came over as I stood there, and she had me come stand in front of the armoire, where I had been standing when we first arrived and was feeling uneasy. She asked if I felt anything there, and I really wasn't sure if the feelings I was picking up were tied to that spot in the building, so I kind of shrugged in reply. I don't like just blurting out what I feel in general, and her question took me by surprise a bit. She leaned in conspiratorially and said a lot of people feel nauseated in that spot. Well, okay then. Maybe I wasn't off base after all. After a few minutes of wandering around the building, the team had us follow them out to the backyard and showed us the command center they had set up in the detached garage. The store's pink Cadillac mascot vehicle was in the garage too, and we were told we could take pictures of it if we wanted. It really was a beautiful car, if you're interested in that sort of thing. I noted there was another female investigator from their group in the garage too. She introduced herself as Monica, and I was both surprised to see her there and pleased to meet her. I wondered if there might be time for idle chat while we were there, and started considering what I might talk to her about, if anything. But Robert appeared from the house at that moment and said they were ready to get things rolling for the night. We all chatted and discussed how the investigation was going to move forward for the evening, Robert said for the first round, most people would stay in the command center while a pair of guest people plus one investigator would go into the store to do what they wanted to do. The guests would choose where to work, with what tools, and generally lead the investigation for their turn. The investigator from the paranormal group would supervise, help, etc. as needed. 
The groups would be tightly controlled, so we knew where all sounds we heard came from, if anything happened. That all sounded good to me. The guests nodded along as he explained things, and then Robert asked who wanted to go first, and all the guests fell quiet. Beth and I exchanged a look, and I nodded to her, and then turned back to Robert and raised my hand. He nodded, and Corey offered to be the supervising investigator for our turn. We followed her into the kitchen area, and I grabbed the K2 meter to try out. I don't think Beth grabbed anything to use for herself. As we wandered forward into the now-dark house, Beth and I debated where to start our turn-off, and we decided on the fitting rooms. We made our way over there and decided the fitting room on the right-hand side was fine and could be ignored. The one on the left, however... I disliked the feeling in that space and was also drawn to the mirror in there. I placed the K2 meter on the ledge next to the mirror, and we sat outside the room to ask our questions. I like sitting and quietly asking questions and then waiting for responses, typically. I was still saying hello and introducing myself, and Beth sat, mostly observing, tossing in the occasional comment. We weren't really getting any responses, but I was feeling hesitation from the spirits. They weren't sure about us. I think they knew we are not the typical ghost-hunting types of people, and we made them wary. I understood the entity's decision to remain quiet and was being patient. I reassured them we were just there to talk, in a gentle voice. As we sat listening for responses and watching for the lights to pop up on the K2 meter, a sound came from the kitchen area. It sounded to me like something in the kitchen had fallen from the counter height and hit the floor. We called out on the walkie to see if anyone had come into the house to join us, but they were all still out in the garage, watching us on the monitors. They heard it too, but didn't see anything on camera. After a long moment, Corey piped up and suggested the entity prove it was there by touching me. I was taken aback by that suggestion. First of all, I don't want to be touched, so I was really glad the entity left me alone. Second, is that really what most people want in this situation? Make the entities prove they're there? If I were an entity in that space, that would really make me angry. We grew quiet at Corey's suggestion for the entity to touch me, and she continued on asking questions, being way more antagonistic than I would be. Between that and being squished into that little corner for a few minutes, I suddenly wanted out of the fitting rooms. I suggested a move to another place in the store for the remainder of our turn. Beth agreed. We got up and shifted gears, wandering over into the room with the clothing racks. I felt someone was standing toward the front of that room near the protective entity I brought along with me. I said hello, introduced myself, and set the K2 meter down on the floor, then stepped back. I asked a few questions and didn't get any responses. I pulled my copper dowsing rods out of my bag and asked a few questions that way, but in the dark it was hard to read the answers. I surmised that the entity in question did not want to use the newfangled device, the K2. He preferred my tool, as it was more familiar. But I still wasn't getting anywhere with him. So after a few minutes of that, we asked if we could use the spirit board that was sitting out on the kitchen table alongside all the other investigation tools. It hadn't been mentioned as an option for use, but it's a tool Beth and I had used together by that point. 
So we were comfortable with it, knew and trusted the person we would be working with on it, and we knew how to close out if needed. I figured it might be a way to get more coherent responses out of the man in the clothing room. It turned out the spirit board was actually a gift from Lisa's carpenter husband to Robert. Robert just hadn't taken it home yet. We said if he's not okay with it, that's totally fine, especially with it being a new board he hadn't had time to consecrate or anything, if he does that type of thing. I would want to do some work with my own new board before using it, so I was prepared for him to say no. So it was absolutely Robert's call whether we would use his brand new board or not. I decided to shift gears if needed, finding a way to have a small light on so I could do a full dowsing rod session instead, but when he answered, he said yes. I went and put the K2 meter on the table again, since it wasn't really working for me anyway, and Corey traded places with Robert while we used his board. He followed us inside and stood near us as we asked our questions. He wanted to be close by, in case we needed to end the session suddenly, I think. On his Ghost Train podcast episode, Raising Demons on a Saturday Night, Robert had mentioned a Ouija board session that needed to be ended early due to contact with a potentially dangerous entity. It made perfect sense to me, and I was just grateful for the chance to try using the board in the location since nothing else was working. But we didn't really have much success with the board either. It answered a few yes and no type questions, but it didn't ever spell anything out that meant anything. I was getting an offended feeling off the board almost. I mentioned it to Beth and we ended up deciding this board did not like us using it because it wasn't ours and it was offended its owner wasn't using it for its first round. I apologized to the board for not being the right people and thanked it for letting us try anyway. We said goodbye, closed our uneventful session out, and returned the board to the kitchen table. I asked Robert if he wanted the planchette next to the board, and he said no, put it on the board. That room was being videoed so we can see if the planchette moves on its own at all. That made me very uneasy, as I would never leave a planchette on a board under typical circumstances. To me, that's like leaving the board open, even if you properly said goodbye like we did. But I've seen teams use spirit boards that way during investigations, so I figured they would just be careful and close the session out again when we were all done for the night, and I let it go. I looked around in the kitchen while I was there, wondering if I could see what fell earlier, but nothing seemed out of place. Weird. I could swear I heard something fall and hit the floor, but nothing was different in there. Maybe it was a ghost item that fell. Who knows? Our turn was over with the end of the spirit board session, and we traded places with the guest couple. They took their turn in the place with Corey, and the rest of us sat out in the garage, watching the monitors. As I watched, I realized there wasn't any sound with the videos. Or if there was sound being recorded, it wasn't being played live. Without sound to know what was being asked by the other group, it was hard to know what was happening, and it was easy to lose interest somewhat. We chatted amongst ourselves a bit, and Monica gave Mary her contact info for a potential reading on another day. Mary and Marcy took pictures with the pink Cadillac in the garage, and Mary sent me a photo she had taken of the monitor when Beth and I were using the spirit board. Suddenly, a big sound came from the kitchen area. 
It sounded to me like a stack of newspapers being dropped on the floor. Big slapping sound. I couldn't see anything different on the kitchen camera, and we radioed in to ask if the other group heard it too. They had, and it definitely wasn't them. Interesting. I checked the planchette's location via the kitchen camera. It hadn't moved. We noted the newspaper sound event on a log they kept in the command center, with the time and the room we thought the sound came from. They'd review the tapes and pay special attention around that time later. I saw they'd marked the earlier moment, when we'd heard the item fall, too. Good stuff. I was super curious if they'd see anything when they checked it later. After a short while, Mary and Marcy took their turns, and they focused on the same dressing room that Beth and I started in. It was hard to see what they were doing crammed into the little corner over there, but they looked like they were laughing and having fun. I kept glancing over to the kitchen camera and obsessing about whether the planchette was moving by itself. Someone bumped the table and moved it at one point, but we never did see it shift around. Once the last pair was done with their alone time in the space, they let us wander again and feel the place out again while they shifted gears with the investigation stuff. I wandered around the big loop in the store, and Beth wandered off to the bathroom. I smelled lilac from the front of the store, between the armoire and the front door, and was puzzling out if it was coming from the bath items or something else. It seemed disconnected from the items in the space to me, but I wasn't fully sure if that was the case. But the smell made me remember to go look at the fedora hat. As I made my way through the dark store toward that wall, I saw Mary and Marcy already had the hat down off the wall, and they were looking it over. When they were done looking at it and about to put it up on the wall again, I asked if I could hold it. They handed it to me, and I took it expectantly... But it was just a normal hat for me. I sensed nothing and smelled nothing. Bummer. Then Beth reappeared and beckoned me to follow her. After she was done in the restroom, she decided to lay in the bed and felt something in that room. She wanted me to do the same, so I followed and we both climbed into the bed. She whispered that she felt something leaning down from the rafters into her face and she sensed that the entity was female, spider-like, and energy-draining. As she said what she felt, the churning in my belly increased tenfold, and I saw the leaning-down female figure in my mind's eye. Dark hair hanging limply around her gaunt face, thin spindly limbs, and her movements were definitely not human. Spider-like made a lot of sense, but mostly... I felt anger from her and was immediately worried for the couple who lived there. I said she seems almost succubus-like, but that's not quite right. She didn't feel demonic to me, not exactly. Vampiric for sure, energy draining for sure, but something different. Maybe she's one of the fey folk? She's something old very old, and it almost seemed like she's tied to the earth there, and it feels like the people are in her space, and she's very angry about it. I said, it feels to me like the negative entity that the older paranormal research hippie man tried to get rid of. Either she never left, or she's back, and she's definitely angry. I shuddered at that.
As I sat up in bed, I saw a huge mirror leaning against the wall. That must be the mirror the couple saw those weird triangular footprints on. I pointed the mirror out, and Beth nodded gravely. She said the dressing room on the left, the one we were working in with that mirror I didn't like, was just on the other side of the wall as the bedroom mirror. Beth also said she heard the spidery entity talking about portals and mirrors and how she has a double portal and a double mirror. Those two mirrors did sit back to back with only a wall between them. Beth said earlier she felt the entity crawl out of the dressing room side of the mirror and up it into the rafters that sat above us. From there I could feel it watching us, angry, prowling, stalking back and forth like like a tiger behind the glass at the zoo. I felt so vulnerable and uncomfortable in that space, I had to get out of that bed. I cannot believe anyone lives in a space like that and isn't affected by it. Something was definitely wrong here. I could feel it in my bones. This was something dangerous. The Iovilus messages made sense. They wanted help. But I still felt like my hands were tied with regards to helping, and I was starting to feel like my presence in the building was angering the entity, or maybe it was Beth and I in combination? That's hard to say, but I did feel like I might be making things worse. As we were leaving the bedroom area, I noticed a talcum powder smell. Almost baby powder, but not quite. I asked Beth if she smelled it, and I think she did, but we couldn't tell if it was a phantom smell or if it was coming from the nearby bathroom. Mary and Marcy took off early, saying they're too old to be up so late, and we chuckled about it. I was pretty tired, too, but my solution involved more coffee. We said goodbye. I thanked her for the invitation and the link that got us there, and they left for the evening. The investigation team came back, and the remaining group sat around, asking questions as a group, with their Ovilus device turned on. It worked differently than my app did, I noticed immediately. It spoke words, but didn't seem to record them. I hoped they were recording with audio, at least. Some words from the mechanical voice were hard to understand. It said rabbit and holiday a couple times, and we acknowledged Easter was just around the corner. It said bike a few times, and we nodded as we were sitting near the bike by the huge mirror. As we sat there on the floor, I was growing to dislike that mirror, too. It felt like it was its own big, swirling portal, and I wondered if there was something else that was portal-like in the basement, too. The place just felt very open and active, and like it was a swirling hub of activity. But very few entities wanted to interact with us, by my estimation. During that ovulus session, for shits and giggles, I turned my eye ovulus on at the same time. Theirs spit out malevolent, which surprised Monica, and my screen read, Object. Wheat. Knit. I was wearing yet another sweater, and we'd had a snack in the garage. I chuckled to myself and turned it off when it went quiet after that. The night grew late, and not much else was happening other than a growing sense of dread. We took a break after the ovulus session for people to move around and use the restroom, and Monica took a brief video for Facebook Live, telling about the night so far. 
The link is on the blog if you want to see it. Monica said there had been lots of noises that night, shuffling, and it was loud enough you could hear it both inside and outside. There were lots of names coming through the ovalis, Tilda and Jim standing out among them, and there was recognition of the upcoming holiday. They said it was a very active night there, with a lot of movement, but she and Robert both acknowledged it was different than their usual that night. I bit my lips together, eyes wide, and exchanged a look with Beth at that, but Monica took credit for poking the bear a bit too much. It was hard for me to say, not having been there before, but I did wonder if my entourage was responsible for any of the movement or shuffling we heard. Or if Monica really does just poke the bear when she goes somewhere. Beth and I started debating if we should take off soon or wait a bit longer, and that prowling feeling overhead made me really uneasy. I turned the eye ovalis on to see what it thought about us leaving, and it said, Geek. Cannot. Object. I shook my head and turned it off again, and we decided to head out after all, a few minutes later. The group was settling in for a spirit box session, and I liked their approach. Monica sat with the spirit box turned on, going backwards through the dial as fast as it could, with headphones on. So she would, without knowing what the group was asking, spit out whatever she heard through the spirit box. That was a really good way to do it, I thought, taking mental notes in case I ever do something like this again and get a chance to try a spirit box for myself. Beth and I chatted in the car on the way back, discussing things a bit more openly once we were alone. I told her what I'd felt, and she agreed with my assessment. We both worried for the store owners and debated what we could do about that, if anything. I dropped her off and wandered home, replaying the events of the night over in my head. It was interesting to me that I felt like it wasn't very active, but those who investigate there more regularly thought it was a busy night. It made me check my definition of active. And it made me wonder if, like I'd been told a few times by this point, if I really am just that different and I'm just used to the activity that happens around me. I got home, and while it was late, I'd had too much coffee to crash out right away. I couldn't help but turn the eye ovalis on while I got ready for bed. One last word came through. Agent. So maybe we aren't done there. Okay, then. I turned it off and went to bed, still unsure how I was supposed to proceed. All I knew was I was supposed to do something. And my role was supposed to be a helpful one. But how do you walk into a store face a stranger, and tell them they've got something dangerous lurking about. That won't work. Ugh. So what will? I fell asleep, puzzling it out. We'll leave it there for tonight, I think. This is the end of part two of the Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac series. Join us again next time to hear part three. My iOvilus continued to yell at me. There's another Ghost Train podcast episode, and... A conversation over coffee yet to come. Thank you all so much for joining me. If you have a paranormal story of your own to share, perhaps about your own ghost hunt or sensing something lurking in your home, send me your stories and I'll read them here. Send your stories to Beyond the Veil Paranormal Tales at gmail.com. 
you can write me to schedule a social distance interview if you prefer. All stories will be anonymous, as always, for your protection. That said, all names gathered from other podcasts remain the same here. All original material links can be found on the blog at beyondtheveilparanormaltales.com. You can find us on social media if you like. We have a Facebook page, a Facebook group, and an Instagram account. All episode-related artwork and images will be shared across all platforms. Come on and join us, but play nice, or I'll put you in timeout. If you'd like to support the blog and podcast, you can do that by listening, telling a friend, or rating and reviewing us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rating us on Apple Podcasts is a huge help if you care to do so. I really do appreciate it. It really does help other people like you find us. If you like what you hear and you'd like to leave a little tip, you can do that over on Patreon. Your donation helps cover the costs of production and replace dyeing equipment as is needed. If you do choose to donate, thank you so much. I think that about wraps it up for tonight. Join me here again next time for the final installment in the Ghost Hunt at the Pink Cadillac series. Until then, you can hide from the scary thunder beneath that blanket of yours. Just hope no hailstones appear out of nowhere inside. If one does and it starts rolling across the floor in your direction, run. Until next time, this has been Beyond the Veil, Paranormal Tales, with Becca. Sleep tight. Some names in the story have been changed to protect privacy. All other details of the stories remain true to fact.